I'm Jane Leader, and you're listening to Older Women and Friends. You know, we older women have a lot to say about love, grief, loss, and resilience. We're more comfortable speaking our truth. We've been good scouts and earned our badges, and now it's time to change the perception that the gig is just about up, when in truth, the second wave of the gig has just begun. We are the matriarchs, the women at the top of the food chain, and we've been given the precious gift of passing along the wisdom that we fought so hard for. So let's build a community of older women, women who are strong, self-fulfilled, and a hell of a lot of fun. Hi, today I'm joined by author Karen Breeze. She is the author of Getting Real About Getting Older. And what I love about Karen's story, there are many things to love, but what is most encouraging is the fact that she didn't write this book or any of the other five nonfiction books or her two award-winning novels with a third coming out in December until after the age of 62 until after she had officially retired. So Karen, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. My first question is clearly, why did you write this book? We wrote this book because we were getting older. And unlike other places in your life, uh, when you first have children, there's tons of parenting books. When your kids go to school, there's tons of books for raising children. There's tons of information out there for getting your job, getting promoted in your job. Everything under the sun except what happens, how do you negotiate getting older? There wasn't anything there. So we thought we would do our best to fill that need. And how did you go about finding people to interview? Because I need to tell our listeners that, in fact, this book is chock full of interviews, partial interviews, important quotes from seems like a cast of a thousand. Actually, you're right on with that. We interviewed in part or in length, probably pretty close to a thousand people from all demographics from all parts of the country, but it all started with women. Finding men to talk to is a little <laughs> little more tricky, a um, little trickier, rather. English teacher, can't get over it. But there is that sense of how do I approach a strange male who's sitting at Starbucks and strike up a conversation without giving the wrong impression. So we, we got to the men through the women. They were the husbands, the boyfriends, the uncles, the repair people um, for all of the women that we interviewed because striking up a conversation with another woman comes naturally to us. We don't mind talking to women and checkout lines at the grocery store when we are doing the laundry, if we have to take it out to get it done at the Costco when we're filling up the gas tank. It's perfectly natural for women to talk to other women. So over the course of a couple of years, we interviewed by means of little snippets sometimes, just a couple of quick questions. When did you feel that you were getting older? When did, it, when did the realization hit you? 
what kind of advice would you give a friend who says, I'm old? What would you say? All of these different questions that we all have, all of the thinking about how do I negotiate this new path in my life? Where, where do I go? What do I do? Who do I talk to? What do I say? What can I still do? What do I need to do? So that's pretty much the way we got started. What were maybe one or two of the most interesting or surprising responses that you got to any of those questions that you just listed? One of them actually came through my husband, who was remembering something that a music teacher of his had told him many, many years ago. Just because I can no longer do X doesn't mean that I can't learn how to do Y. We have to be adaptable. Uh, there comes a time when we can no longer put on the ballet outfit with the tutu and the toe slippers and look impressive. Uh, if we try that after a certain age, we look interesting, but it's not <laughs> conveying the right image. We have to understand when it's time to close one door, but at the same time, your other hand should be on the doorknob opening the next one. Is that something that most people find easy to do? It sounds wonderful, uh, you know, as we discuss it, but... How do we get there? How do we let go of one thing and grasp something new? It's not easy. Sometimes we have to either drag ourselves kicking and screaming into the vast unknown, or if we're lucky, we have another friend who says, let's try this, let's try that. We can do this. Uh, just because we can't any longer um, go ice skating doesn't mean we can't bundle up and hitch a ride on somebody's snowmobile. We can still enjoy nature. We can still enjoy hobbies. We just need to come to the realization that if we want something to change, we have to be the ones to change. We have to tell ourselves we can do this and not get stuck. Getting unstuck, that sounds um like a very important mantra that we all should be murmuring to ourselves, don't get stuck, don't get stuck. I'm wondering what some of the key misconceptions about older women that you discovered, either through your own life or certainly through doing the research for this book. In the past, I think women were probably, in some ways, treated better as they got older. We were, at one point, generations that lived together in the same house. Grandma and Grandpa lived in the house along with their children and the grandchildren, and their advice was sought. They had had the experience. They knew what to do. And even if they didn't live in the same house, they generally lived in the same town. And you would frequently have contact with older women. And value what they did. We have become such a mobile society that right now, that's the rarity. It's, it's no longer commonplace. So what we're discovering is that women have kind of lost their anchor. They have to constantly fight society's preoccupation with youth. And 
the idea that somehow after you cross a certain numerical birth date, whether it's 35, 40, 45, or 50, that your worth is still there. And we have to learn to stand up for ourselves and not let the youth-obsessed culture silence us. You have an interesting format in your book, and just to explain, it's each major section ends with what you call a reality check. So it is this um, give and take experience as you're reading the book. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to add that particular feature? That was the brainchild of my co-author, Linda Stroh, who is also a PhD, and we wanted this to be kind of a guidebook, as we touched on earlier. There wasn't any guidebook for negotiating older age. And as people saw themselves in some of the conversational tidbits, we wanted them to be able to go through some mental exercises to see how well they had internalized the message and how they might apply the lessons that the other people were telling us about. I liked it because as I was reading it, I actually tried to, you know, go around and answer all those questions. And actually, I've used some of those questions in some forms in the Facebook group that I've started called not unsurprisingly, older women and friends. And uh, it's interesting that when you start getting women involved and you open the book and you allow people to have a safe space in which they can express their feelings, uh, some wonderful things occur. And it's also, I think, interesting that we find community. And I wanted to talk about community, especially about friendships and the role of friendships in the lives of older women. Friendships are essential. Um, Science has proven that people who have a wider social network are not only happier, even if they have physical problems, and we all do as we get older, they do tend to live longer and they live more, more richly. Friends are our connections. They are, they are the people who keep us grounded, who urge us to get up off our butts, get out of the chair, and go for a walk. Or there's somebody who listens to us when the world seems to be against us some days. Because there are days, no matter how optimistic you try to be, when reality hits you hard. You, you go through loss. None of us who have reached this stage of our lives, there's none of us who hasn't experienced loss. At this point, most all of us have lost our parents. Many of our relatives that were our parents' age have now moved on to whatever awaits us on the next phase of this global journey. And we're losing our friends. And it's to answer your question, if you don't cultivate new friendships, your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller until you're just there all by yourself, and that's not a good place to be. So it's important to continue to make friends throughout your life, younger friends, older friends, friends your own age. It's nice to be knowing that you have somebody you can talk to on any different topic. One of my best friends is 15 years younger than I am, 
another good friend is about 12 years older than I am. And they each fill a need for me, and I hope I fill that for them. It is true. There's no doubt that as we age, our circle of friends shrinks and shrinks and then shrinks some more. So as you state, either we become uh, loners and people who are extremely upset and unhappy, or we make that extra effort to get out there. And I think if I'm hearing you correctly, just based on the way women responded when you wanted to get their feedback as you were interviewing for your book, I think we can possibly assume that women are also going to be receptive in terms of not just answering questions, but of opening themselves up and to the possibility of of good friendship. I think that's a very important point that you've hit on. One of the problems that stands in the way of making new friendships is also the thing that can help us create new friendships, and that's the internet. We tend to spend more and more and more of our time online. And while we are connected to the whole world, we are really isolated. And it's just us with the computer. There's not that physical contact. There's, there's, there's no touch. There's no way of just making that relaxed, snide comment or stupid joke or just laughing. That's something that we have to really fight against. As we get older, we have mobility issues often, and it can become more and more difficult to physically go out to the yarn store to buy yarn, to talk to somebody there, to join a knitting group, or to go to the library and join a book club there, or go to the garden club, or go volunteer at the hospital. A lot of our connections unfortunately or fortunately, are now becoming online. And we have to adapt, which is one of the themes of the book. It's it's truly Darwin, adapt or die. And people who don't adapt tend to die earlier. So if the internet is what we have, then we need to make the best of it. And talking about adapting, which obviously you say is a cornerstone of your book, in what other ways, what other suggestions, helpful hints can you give to older women who are trying to adapt to any number of things, not only in terms of friendship, but into changing bodies and changing body image? And as you say, experiencing loss, loss of a parent, a family member, a dear friend. This is another area where women seem to have an easier time of it than men because we do talk to people and we can strike up first acquaintanceships and then if that all works well, friendships. Uh, It's important. And what we found was that people who have a larger social presence do much better. And that can be attending a church synagogue, a meeting place, whatever speaks to your spiritual side, because that's a very important part of your health overall. People who are spiritually connected tend also to do much better as they age. So there's a place where you can find friends. So there are tricks to this. You've got to put yourself out there. I lived in a very small town in Idaho for about 20 years, and the biggest gathering place was the post office. Now, there was only a population of about 500 in this town, 
but everybody congregated at the post office. And you got to know your neighbors. It just takes that extra bit of effort to get out of the house and then see what happens. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, There is a quote that you use in the book from the grandfather in the movie Moonstruck. Mm -hmm. And I found it quite moving. And it goes, I am old and the old are not wanted. And what they say has no weight. How did your respondents respond to the idea of not being valued, of, in effect, being invisible? It's probably one of the hardest things that we deal with, and everyone seems to experience this onset of invisibility. Whether we are in a group, we are often overlooked. If the conversation goes on, no one seems to really pay that much attention Unless we make the effort, and and that's the key to dealing with invisibility, we're told, and fortunately this is getting better, as older women, what we should be wearing and what we shouldn't be wearing, and the colors really shouldn't be so bright, and we should just blend, and that kind of reminds me of a, a movie, and I forget what the name of it was, but Danny DeVito was in it, and another gal, and she says, like you blend, like you blend, and it was, uh, we're supposed to blend as we get older. And if you didn't blend when you were younger, if this is not the time to start, but it takes that drive to say, I will not be silenced, I will not be overlooked. One of my friends said, I'm going to wear beige and sit in the back. Well, no, don't wear beige and sit in the back, get a big hat, get a red dress, sit in the front, and make people take notice of you. It's like respect at any age. You earn it, and then it's yours to demand. I love that. There's also this amazing fact. There are many of them. The book is stock full of interesting research. One of the ones that really took me by storm was that most women live nearly a third of their lives post menopause. And my question is, how can this be a new beginning? It, it, I mean, it's mind-boggling when you put it in perspective like that. I don't think there is a woman alive who says, damn, I wish my period had lasted another 20 years. I was having so much fun with it. <laughs> Unlike our male older friends, women spend their entire lives dealing with issues of reproduction, even if they're choosing not to reproduce. Um, From the moment your period arrives when you are anywhere from, Lord knows, they're getting younger and younger every day, until you finally hit menopause, you're constantly reminded that you're a baby-making machine and uh, this is what nature has intended. So it used to be, before all of the advances of modern medicine, menopause was truly the end of life. Women maybe had another five years to live. It it was the end. And now we do. We live much, much longer. And just think the first day, I remember going into the grocery store and striding down that aisle with all of the feminine products and just going, you know, whatever. 
have a nice day. I don't need you anymore. It's liberating. When you compare how women age versus men, and you touched upon this a little bit, I think you cited a Time Magazine article that said something like, older people are happier than younger people. Is that something that your research showed? Older people who have accepted reality have a bit of a sense of humor, have a good social support network, and have the means to be able to live comfortably are happier. Older people who don't have this, probably not. Some of these things you can cultivate for yourself. You can cultivate your social network. You can improve your health to a degree by simply getting good medical care. And that means when you have a problem, going to the doctor. This is another reason why women live longer than men. Women, if they have a problem, routinely make an appointment to go to the doctor to find out what it is, what I can do about it. Men go into, first of all, denial. They don't have a problem. Uh, it's going to get better. What's the doctor going to do for me? And it goes on and on and on. And trying to get a man to go to the doctor can be one of the most frustrating experiences of, of marriage. And that's another area. People who are married, they say, are happier and live longer than those who are not. But that only applies if your marriage is maybe not happy, but at least compatible. And you both, you both hate the same things, then you're in good shape. You talk about gratitude, and it's a whole sort of concept and sentiment that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about lately. How does gratitude help women age better? Gratitude itself is a gift, and it speaks to the spiritual aspects of our lives. Uh, we have much to be grateful for. There's a, a line from uh, the Bible that says, and all things give, give thanks. No matter how bad things are, there is something to be grateful for. There's the sunrise that comes up in the morning, unless you live where I live in Washington, in which case it rains for eight months out of the year. But then there's something else to be grateful for. The rain nourishes the forest so that we are the evergreen state. There is always something to be grateful for. We have food on our table. Um, the parts of our body that still work, still work. I'm reminded of a, of a little story I saw, which I, was on Facebook. It was an elderly woman who had lost her husband and had to move to a retirement home. And they were trying to get her used to it. And they wanted to give her the tour. And she said, it's all right. I already love it. And they said, but you haven't seen your room yet. And she said, it doesn't matter. I've made up my mind that I'm going to like it. And I will like it. And then they said, well, about the food. And she said, I'm going to love it. I'm going to enjoy it. I won't have to cook it. That's something to be grateful for. No matter what your situation is, attitude is key. You can't control anything in this world except your response to it, and that's your attitude. And it needs to be one of gratitude. 
And just one more thing before I sadly have to let you go, and that is in the afterword of getting real about getting older, you have a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, which goes, today is the oldest you've ever been and the youngest you'll ever be again. And I'm wondering if that is the final message that you want to share with your readers. I think so, Jane. We are on a journey, and getting old is end point. There's nothing beyond that. Getting older is a physiological function. We all get older from the moment we're conceived. We're getting older. But getting old is a choice. Eleanor never got old. She was older and older and older, but she still kicked butt until her last last breath, and she's a model. I, I have great respect for that woman. That makes two of us. Karen, it's been just a delight. I'm so, so pleased that you were able to join me today. Thank you very much, Jane. Good luck on your wonderful podcast. If you'd like to know more about Karen and her books, you can go to www.karenkbreeze.com. KarenKBreeze.com. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Older Women and Friends. And speaking of friends, please tell yours. And if you're interested in reaching me with comments or suggestions, you can do that by emailing me at olderwomenandfriendspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can check out my blog at 70andme.com, and that's 70, the letter N, me, 70andme.com. Until next time.